Hi cheesy people, before we get started I'd like to thank our two sponsors. Scrumptious Reads provides us with a place to record, but it's also the best place to drop large amounts of the folding stuff on interesting cookbooks, books talking about food, drinking coffee, drinking wine, drinking spirits, or just eating generally. They also have lots of interesting courses all the time, so check out their website for more details. Fatgrape.com.au is an online wine store selling interesting wines you will not find at your local chain bottle shop. We talk about a different wine every week, but don't trust my judgment. Hit Stacy up at fatgrape.com.au and ask for the best wine for you. Finally, you can support the show by going to bezopods.thetshirtmill.com.au and buy a cheesy shirt. Enjoy the pod. We, we, we should rap about things that we like, like, like food. That's what? You bugging ass devil, you know it. We're gonna be like the Partridge family, but with food. You like food, don't you? Got any uh, white bread? Yes. Oh, wait. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. I am the spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in you. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass-fed? Yes. Cruelty-free? What's so special about the cheesemaker? As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. <laughs> Hey Julie, how you going? Good thanks Bezo, how are you? I'm not too bad. Welcome to the Cheesy Podcast. Thank you. Even though you're here every week <laughs> for know. the Cheesy Podcast. <laughs> Walking but around, making jokes at you. Yes. Yes. It heard d- indistinctly off microphone. <laughs> so I made you sit down this week and talk to me. So what are we going to talk about? I want to know why you opened a, a food bookshop. Uh, really? Yeah. Because it's, uh, in one way, I can completely understand it because I love food books. Yeah. But I've watched some of your, uh, like you seem to have two types of customers. You get the customer that walks in looking for the Kmart books. Yeah. And then is disappointed that they can't buy <laughs> Jamie Oliver or... I don't get too many of those ones anymore, actually. In the beginning, I did. Yeah. And then I think because we don't stock those type of books, mm. there's less and less of that type of customer. Yeah. So I think now um, most people know that we tend to have a little bit more unusual titles. Or yeah. More, I'm, you know. I'm very glad I didn't know you when I still had disposable income <laughs> because... <laughs> I would have bought a lot of books here. <laughs> just, you still you know, can. Every every time I walk in, I see that River Cottage book and I think, oh, I've always wanted to own that book. Um, you know, they've got to meet one as well. So River that's, Cottage. That's the one that I've always wanted. So that was the first one I... Um, so the, the book that... See, I love books. I think books can be um, transformative mm. because we used to go... Um, every every year we used to go to somewhere like Stanthorpe or Mullaney or and yeah. stay in a little cabin on a hill, you know, in yeah. the bush, and just sort of relax for the weekend. Like that's pretty much what Lantana Land is now. Yeah. Um, and we went to Mullaney one year, and we're walking past the bookshop there, and there was a book 
by David and Gerda Foster. Have you ever read it? No. Um, what was that about? I think it's called A Year of Slow Food. And it's basically about them. And it's written by both of them. It's like very interesting because it's okay. like he writes a couple of chapters and then she'll write a chapter. So it's from each's point of I view. Look into that one. I'll lend it to you. It's quite hard to find. Okay, you can't thanks. get it digitally, which irritates me because I like having physical books. Yeah. But I, the books, I read books over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And I like having um, all my favourite books. Mm. I like having digitally because... Then you can access it more Well, uh, like you, you'd be on holidays and I'll just have the... Oh, I feel like reading such and such. Yeah. And I like to be able to just have it. Or, and the other thing is, quite often this happens um, all the time, where I'll go, oh, I really feel like reading that book. And I won't own it digitally. And I know I own the hard copy. Yeah. And I'll, I've got like eight different bookcases. And I'll search for 40 minutes in the bookcases and then go, bloody hell, and give up. <laughs> Maybe you should and go, go and, uh, and go to Amazon and have categories on your and and pay the shelf. pay the four bucks to to own it digitally, which I, and then I don't feel guilty about doing that because I'm like I already own the hard copy. I just want to read the book now. I've wasted forty minutes of reading. You need a Dewey system for your for your bookshelf. But I have to say, I love digital books. I'm probably one of the biggest advocates for digital books. But cookbooks yeah. are do not translate no, to digital. No, they don't. Do not at all. No. Don't. Um. Which is funny because an iPad in a kitchen is quite useful mm. in terms of recipes and stuff like that, you know, like scrolling through the web yeah. and things like that. But yeah. there's something about the the texture and um, I like all my cookbooks to feel lived in. Yeah. Like yeah. you can tell which cookbooks I've cooked out of. Like my, my copy of The Cook's Companion is the spine's broken and it's, mm. you know one of the half the pages are falling out and time for a new one time for a new one yeah <laughs> well it's been mended with gaffer tape and I that's just, good you must love it then well it's just it's it's a um it really is essentially a resource yeah it is it like is. i don't use it i don't really cook out of it it's more i'll go i've got a surplus of x mm. or oh, i wonder how you do this and and mm. It's, it's better than Google. It never yeah. very, very rarely fails you yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, you can find something to help you what you want to know. Yeah. So. That's like the LaRousse. So LaRousse Gastronomic. Yeah, which so is the... Is that the French, like yeah. the French version of Cook's yeah. Companion? Yeah. yeah. And what's the... Is it Spoon? Mm, for the Italian one? For the Italian yeah, one. Yeah, Silver Spoon. Silver Spoon. So that's... Yeah. yeah, that's high on my list as well of yeah. books that I want to own. My Italian friend who's a very good cook and she actually is the one... Um, who has the Tuscan Supper Club. Mm. She said that is the best Italian book. If anybody is looking ah. for an Italian cookbook, she said, get that one. Recommend that one. That's the only one that she would actually recommend for Italian books. Well, maybe you and I need to have a chat then because <laughs> do you know my our current au pair is an Italian? Ah, oh, right. Um, That's right. Yeah. Lives in the north of Italy. So you'll have to ask your friend what is the classic northern Italy, Italy Italian, Italian dish. Okay, we'll do. But strangely enough, we've just been not not necessarily because Sana has turned up at our place, but we, I've been cooking quite a bit of Italian food because I got four, the pasta maker. I got four dozen duck eggs, <laughs> four dozen, and the pasta maker. So we've been we've had three lots of fresh pasta since she's arrived. Two oh. two lots of risotto because I made 
Are you cooking them or is she cooking them? No, no, I'm cooking them. Oh, okay. Like Italian French is where I'm comfortable in. That's where I've got mm. that base of knowledge where I can just cook something and not have to consult anything. Like I could cook in that general style mm. um, in terms of sauces and, um, you know, flavour balance and, you know, I can use butter and and things like that yeah. without having to really consult, whereas Asian food, everything's... There is no butter. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the problems I have. Well, you'll have to come to the next um, series mm. of Thai cooking. I did see that. Was it last night or the Yeah, night last night we had the... It looked yummy. Yeah, it was delicious. And it was vegetarian, but mm. really good vegetarian food that she she I, made. I've actually been craving a lot of that um, uh, high um, chilli content food i yeah. don't know why just been craving a bit of chili Maybe I should heat. give you some of my chili sauce oh is it good i don't know i, I like because <laughs> i eat very will spicy I, will food I, will i die <laughs> you might my friends have this uh, term of julie spicy yeah right <laughs> they go is it spicy or is it julie spicy i'm like julie spicy then they can't eat it i lived with a girl once <laughs> who couldn't stand the heat from capsicum it's not even heaty at all. No, she had like whatever the, you know, the... the, the Capsaicin. Yeah. So she had a very, very high oh. sensitivity to that. Capsicum was hot to her. Oh. And I got her up to, by the end of the 12 months she lived with us, I used to grow these, like a really big chilli and they're just a little bit hotter than capsicum. Yeah. I used to slice them finely and put them in salads and stuff because they, they give you a little bit of heat. But Yeah. Um, it was very mild. You could use quite a bit of them. But I could put a little tiny bit of that in a stir fry and she could cope with it. And that's where I got her to <laughs> nice. after 12 months. <laughs> Which that's drove me because I used to grow all my own chilies back then. If you ever see in the markets of a chili called Fatali, mm. F-A-T-A-L-I-I, yep. get it and grow it because it's very rare. But the good thing about Fatali is... It's very spicy but very fragrant as well. Oh, okay. And it's got very good flavor because yep. there's no point eating chili just for eating chili no. for the sake of having, you know, heat. But you want flavor and you want the fragrance. Yeah. Fatali is really good with that. And I did a bit of research when I was um, making all of my chili sauce because I, I add, I put about five or six different types of really hot chili in there. Yeah. But I want flavor and fragrance. Yeah. And Fatali was one of the ones that popped up. And, uh, I don't think that lady's there anymore, but there was a chili farmer in Mount Tambourine. I've, I've actually been to her place, the lady that smokes chilies. No, she dried it. And she was like, uh, okay. you, have, like you have to go off the beaten track yeah, yeah, and yeah. down the gully. Yeah. Is she still there? You sure she wasn't smoking them? I, I, used, to, I, used, I used to... I don't know, maybe, but I, got, I bought from her because it was at the drought time mm. and she dried all of the stock that she had ah, okay. and she had the fatali um, all dried in her freezer and you can buy yeah but i didn't i didn't ask her about smoked chili maybe it's the same lady could be because she used to grow all her own chili what was her business name something like lacuna or something yeah no like that, that is her that is her does she still exist i don't know i haven't haven't seen her for ages and i yeah. should know i live out that way yeah but. If you can get that Fatali, I highly recommend grow yeah. that one. It's really nice. And it's um, it's an odd shape as well. It's like a bell but with a pointed end. Oh, if you ever, and it's orangey colour. If you ever get me some get some seeds, because I'm mm. I'm in a bit of a growing kick at the moment. Okay. Maybe to... I give you the ghost chili seeds. Yeah, I give think me I've those. got some floating around. Um I'm trying to grow a little bit more 
stuff that we eat a lot of. So tomatoes, obviously. Yeah. My kids just, especially Hilo, just will smash. He'll take a whole punnet of cherry tomatoes in one lunchtime, no worries. Well, that's good. Um, so I'm madly trying to grow cherry tomatoes at the moment. I've got like six plants in because cherry tomatoes and the little punnet, good ones aren't particularly cheap. So yeah, no. I'm trying to grow like you know, kilos and just let him go. Are you getting it. those um, heirloom tomatoes as well? Yeah, from I do. From the heirloom society? Um, diggers sell some heirloom ones, mm. which you can get at Bunnings. But I most of them I get from seed. I get them from Eden Seeds and just grow yeah. them from seeds. Yeah. Even though I'm reasonable at growing tomatoes from seed so um i miss i miss the the like i really what i really want is that city farm you know northy street city yeah. farm and they've got those areas that are just where they move their chook pens around oh, right. yep. and everything they just let itself seed and they've yep. grown so much stuff there over the years that yeah tomatoes and all your salad greens and everything just grow yeah you know rocket and all that sort of stuff just grow from seed and so are you doing that system over in Lantana? I'm Island? trying to, but I've just got scrub turkey problems at the moment. Everything I put in, unless I cage it. Mm. Um, There's no natural enemies of the scrub turkey, is there? Humans? Lots of unnatural enemies, like dogs and stuff, but you don't really want them coming up to the house with young kids yeah. around. No, true. Just, mm. They just love, like, you put sugarcane mulch down, yeah. and it's just like candy to a baby. Yeah. It's, they just can't help themselves. Um, dig around so I've got lettuce and silver bead and some tomatoes under under cages at the moment yeah. um, but and I've got rocket that sort of sprouts and grows everywhere it's a really good one but yeah I really want that big you know sort of 30 meter stretch of garden that's just heavily mulched and you just don't really have to do much to it everything just sprouts up and you've always got something growing at some time of the year yeah mm. That would be ideal. The rotational crop system. Yeah, just even you just, you know, you throw some, you throw the, the chooks in every now and again, that fertilises it and turns it all over and then it just goes. Um, yeah, but I haven't quite got my my infrastructure there. It's all about infrastructure. <laughs> and the problem is, is like, I've got that system sort of set up down where the bees are, but it's not secure enough. So, you know, the foxes can break into it and things like that so which i don't think you have a problem with at city farm no don't see too many foxes in the city do we not the four-legged kind anyway no probably a few feral cats that are quite big i would imagine i've seen some like very interesting articles about um interesting breeds of feral cats that have come up yeah right have you seen those articles no. They're amazing looking cats oh, but yeah. apparently um they've bred with domestic cats so they're not as volatile oh, as okay. the feral ones yeah, and people yeah. are actually keeping them yeah, yeah yeah but they look beautiful like really beautiful markings <laughs> and that like tigers <laughs> little mini tigers yeah um so when did you come to australia julie how many years ago <laughs> you know that answer <laughs> no i don't actually 1977 oh the year i was born oh my god yeah, well, I'm not going to tell you how old I was when I came. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a number, it's fine. <laughs> so have you all, like, always been into food? Like, obviously, to, yeah. to, to own a food-based well, bo- bo- food bookshop, yeah. you've got to have I, a I real guess, passion for food. 
I guess I didn't didn't really think about it as a passion for food, but my Mm. family, um, I come from a family of um, bakers and cooks, Mm. you know, I mean, all our grandmas and everybody in the family knows how to cook and everything we were taught, you know, through word of mouth and by watching our, our grandparents and parents. But my paternal grandparents were actually bakers. So they lived in the... Japanese era um, when the Japanese had invaded Indonesia. Oh, okay. So they used to bake because we used to get um, stories told of how they used to bake and then my my dad and my aunties would have to cycle to you know to all the to all the stores or wherever they had their um, goods to, to, to deliver. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And then um, it was really tough at that time because lack of ingredients obviously because of the wartime but we uh my family and my father's side very heavily influenced by the dutch as well okay so i was just about to ask is that a sort of vietnamese style french influence baking or is it um yeah so it's more european european style influence Mm -hmm. um so we've got the fusion of you know asian and and european styles Mm. so we grew up with usually asians are dairy intolerant because they don't have that much yep. dairy history in there. of it yeah but our family we actually have that history of oh, right European now. food yep. so we, our palate is very broad so um, when I was small we ate Dutch food we ate um, Italian food we ate a lot of different types of European mm. um, so flavours w- what's your favourite type of food now? Spicy food. Spicy. Yeah, if I crave for anything, it's spicy food. Mm. Yeah, so my favorite um, would be Indonesian and Thai. Yep. But Indonesian food is very regional as well. Like if you're used to going to Bali, you're not going to get spicy food because the Balinese food are sweeter. Okay. And Javanese food is also sweeter. So I come from Sumatra, and where we come from, um, our food is much spicier. It's... Uh, like the Javanese and the Balinese can't eat our food because yeah, right. it's way too too hot for them. Mm. I'll have yeah. to remember that if I ever go to Indonesia, I want to go to where the spicy food yeah. is. Yeah, so Sumatra, um, Manado is another, so it's one of the regions. Mm. Manado food is really, really spicy, like blow your top off, yep. top off type of spicy, make you cry spicy. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I have to go there without the kids. Yeah, yeah. But the twins are still... Um, pretty spice tolerant. Mm. But Curtis has understood the concept of spicy now. Yeah, oh, that's I, good. Well, no, I think it's he won't eat it now. Oh. But I think it's the. I think someone said to him that spicy, you know, be careful, spicy food, and then he's associated it, and now he's worried about it. See, for us, it was the opposite. Mm. So because if you put a little bit of chili in food yeah it actually whets your appetite yeah yeah so if the we we get taught to eat chili from a very young age yeah and it gives it makes us eat you know our food yeah more so i remember one of my nieces she had really a, a big problem with eating like she just we don't know what you know what caused it yeah so um a, one, a lot of kids do like, yeah i've got friends that it's just a struggle to get mm. their kids to eat but her mum started putting a little bit of chili mm. in her food, just like a tiny bit. And she noticed she actually ate more. Yeah. And then so she just kept on doing that and actually made her, you know, more, I don't know, she 
she ate more food, food yeah. and loved food more. Maybe it was too bland for. I don't know. Anyway, um, uh, but uh, we we tend to eat a lot more when we've got spicy food in front of us. I've got uh, like my thing is I'll make the food, and obviously I'm not going to make it so. You know, it's barely palatable for me. Yeah. I'm going to make it a little, you know, not so that everyone can eat it. Mm. But my thing is always give it to the kids. If it's too hot, I can put some yogurt on it to, yeah. to, to chill it out. Yeah. But at least let them try it. Yeah, exactly. First. Exactly. And if they eat it, then, you know, don't, don't start them at cardboard mm. flavoured level. Yeah. And then, you know, try and build it up. Try and, try yeah. and push them a little bit. Yeah. Or at least give them the option. Don't don't sort of assume that they're not going to. Well, we we were taught to eat everything. You know, yeah. if you didn't eat everything on your plate, you couldn't leave the table really. Yeah. And but fortunately for us, all our food was very very flavorsome. Yeah. It was everything was very tasty. Um, so there wasn't really any any like for breakfast, I can't eat cereal and that because yeah. I don't find there's any flavor. So I oh. prefer. Like noodles or yep. fried rice or whatever. I follow um, uh, Adam Lior on yeah on Twitter yeah and yeah seeing some the of the Japanese stuff that, breakfast is yeah, fantastic you know which yeah. is basically like like sushi mm. and and all sorts of interesting things yeah um, I'll admit that you know our breakfasts are pretty rushed so it's toast and cereal yeah um, and I actually like I've got that cultural thing where mm. I just I'm so used to having cereal that. Mm. Sort of feels a bit weird to have rice for breakfast. <laughs> I guess the closest I get is um, like I do a, a muesli that's soaked. So you soak it overnight. Mm. So it's it's mm. quite that's a bit different, but it's still back home. A fruit we have thing, um, I guess. so our parents or whoever cooks in the mm. household would go to the markets, fresh markets every day. Yeah, and they so it's in the morning, and then in those markets, there's a lot of stall holders who sell breakfast food pre-made yeah all yeah. pre-made and it's all fresh that day and it's really cheap so you buy your ingredients yeah. for your lunch and dinner yeah and then and you then buy breakfast, breakfast and then so you do it again the next day yeah yeah so breakfast you know um they would it bre- the breakfast meals would be a smaller portion of what you would eat for lunch yeah and um so you would have all the different types of noodles all the different types of rice and the dishes and we have some even that is just specifically for breakfast. Yeah. Um, so we've got one called lontong. Um, so from my hometown, um, what it, lontong is is like little rice cakes. Yep. And you have it served with um, a protein and a vegetable um, dish, and then you have the condiments. So Indonesian food has a lot of condiments. Yeah. And then we have a lot of different types of chili sauces. So not all chili sauces are the same. And they are specifically for different types of dishes yeah. because they enhance the flavor. And um, so we have like breakfast food. This is our breakfast food. Chili for breakfast. Yeah, food. it's great. Wake you up. <laughs> Get you going for the rest of the day. I have to say I find that um, that concept of buying food for that day, uh, like a few years ago I found at the end of the week you'd go through and you'd cook that end of the week clear out the fridge mm. meal to try and make sure that you're using everything in the fridge. Yeah. And I was always having things even left over after that meal yeah. in the fridge and even in the cupboard, you know, like I'd have a whole heap of stuff just to have the stuff. So now I've gone to thinking about what I'm going to eat that day and trying to only buy the stuff 
to make those dishes so that I'm not wasting, or at the most two days, so maybe today and tomorrow and then that's it, so that I get to the end of the week and I don't have any leftover stuff in the fridge where I was like, oh, I was going to make that and I changed my mind and and it just sits there and, you know, yeah. wilts and, yeah. and goes off. And I find that it's definitely throwing out a lot less stuff because food waste is huge yeah, in Australia. It's, yeah, it's, very, it's a big problem, I mm. think, in in the first world country, isn't it? Well, there's so many there's so many charitable organizations who are trying to you know yeah. help with this problem like well, saving a lot of these um, part of it a lot of it is um just our obsession with the way food looks like mm. people um you know want food to look a certain way and yeah uh like i know um the fruit shop down the road from work when i was getting waste fruit for my cows and I was getting two bins full a day. Wow, that's a lot. Well, I wasn't even touching their waste. Like, that, they were throwing a wheelie bin away on top of what they were giving me. That's crazy. Every day. And, sat, and I didn't collect Saturday and Sundays. They were their busiest days. Now, yeah. they had a guy that came and recycled a lot of that. But that's a little fruit shop. Imagine every mm. Woolworths. Every mm. Woolworths and every Coles and every IGA all in the country. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that stuff's just going into landfills. Just yeah. insane. That's why, like people like Michelle from Ugly Duck is really good. You know, yeah. Um, we have more people like her, and then also Oz Harvest. They're doing good things with all the waste, yeah. you know, that they collect. And a lot of it is actually not waste. Maybe we should stop using that word waste because it's not waste. It's food, and it's still. I it's think. Still, I know, think waste edible. is the right word in in that, but not in the terms of. Um, it's our waste. It's, yeah. it's that we are it's, it's wasting wasteful. it. Yeah. It is very wasteful. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, it's a big problem that I guess it's not easy to solve either in this day and age. One thing I am happy with, and I think is improving, is the flavour of food. Mm. I I often thought that a lot of, um, and I think it's important for my kids because they eat a lot of fruit and veg. And I reckon they eat a lot of fruit and veg because it tastes a lot better. Yeah. Like, um, and I did notice, uh, went to Woolworths recently and bought apples and they had marked on the one of the apples, fresh picked, like, you know, right. th- this is yeah. this is the one that is in season now. Yeah. Um, and I, like, straight away, I just like, well, that's the only apple I'm going to buy, you know. Was there a difference I, in taste? Oh, they were really nice, yeah. They were nice and oh, crisp. They yeah. weren't as nice. Uh, we've got a, a little breakfast market at Bean Lee now in the new square, and there were some people from Stanthorpe selling apples there, yeah. and they were just off the tree, and they were a level above again. Yeah. You know, they were amazing. Um, but I can remember when I first came to Brisbane buying apples and they were just like flour you know yeah you take one bite and yeah and throw it away there's just no and then that discourages you from going and buying an apple the next time so so what what fruit did you have in indonesia what was your my favorite is mangosteen yeah it still is my favorite well so Um, what's that so mangosteen you can get them here but it's so expensive um it's a purple colored fruit and it's got a really thick skin. Yeah. So you crack the skin and then inside there's segments and it's like um, white fleshy um, oh. segments. Well, a little and bit the like a custard is... apple? No. No? 
The flavor is sweet and sourish. Ah, okay. But it's yeah, it's really good, really good fruit. Um, Bananas. Oh, actually, mango? the fruit that comes close to it. Did you ever try? I think they still have it, and they're growing it in northern Queensland. The achacha fruit. Oh yeah, I have, I have seen it, but I haven't tasted it. Orange one. Yeah. That's very close to a mangosteen. Ah, okay. But uh, Chacha, because it's small, it only has just the one segment. Yep. Whereas the mangosteen has six. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, if I so, see one, I'll have to try it. Yeah. Um, and so we get all the tropical fruits. So you got your durian, which I don't like. Um, bananas, mangoes. So mangoes, we've got many varieties yep. of mangoes. Um, the snake fruit. And there's other fruits that I don't know what the English names are. Yeah. There's just hundreds of different types. So when you ca- when you came to Australia and you were introduced to apples and pears, stone fruit and apples and pears, how did you did, like? Did you find that amazing or not that interesting? I wasn't very interested in the apples and pears and bananas. I have to admit, and yeah. I don't like bananas because oh, wow. I think the texture is like spit. <laughs> but I do like the stone fruits and yeah. the cherries and the nectarines and plums. And again, yeah. like, I I think. The, the cherries I had in Tasmania would go close to the best fruit I've ever had, but I think I've had some peaches off the peach tree, which unfortunately had to get cut out to get an excavator through. Oh, um, but, yeah, one year I got a crop of, like, 15 peaches from it. Yeah. And it was just... Because they ripened on the on the tree. Yeah. They were just amazing. I thought... Because when we first moved to Australia, we lived in Melbourne. Oh, okay. I so, yeah, that, that was real culture shock. Yeah. Then. I think the thing that really shocked me was the weather. Yeah. Because we moved here at the end of winter, but Melbourne winter is... Yeah, yeah. I I remember having nearly 10 blankets on me because I was that (laughs) cold. cold. But the irony is now, I hate the heat. I actually prefer the cold. Oh, really? Wow. I don't like the heat at all. And when I go back home, I actually really don't enjoy it at all. Okay. Yeah, but I, I love winter. Yeah. But, um, I went through a stage where, because I came from Gladstone, which is not quite, but it is more tropical. Yeah. Um, and I was the same. I, I loved winters. Um, but yeah, the last couple of winters with kids, I was just so glad for winter to be over. <laughs> you know, like not having to put jumpers on them. Raising kids is so much easier in a hot climate. You know, <laughs> you just basically strip them off and hose them down. Especially, oh, like speaking of, of fruits like where the mulberries are probably a, oh, yes. a week and a half maybe two weeks away yeah at our place um and that, that's a nice messy time oh yeah yeah young kids and mulberries is just the best <laughs> and uh, there's something about picking them but you know and then just watching them dribble down their face i've got a a great photo of curtis when he was maybe one and a half and first got into them mm. and the first time we did it we quickly learnt that the only way for him to eat mulberries was completely naked. <laughs> you just, in the pool. Just, or just on the veranda where you can just wash it off. But yeah, there's one of him sort of looking up at the camera with these purple sort of streaks down his chin. He looks like a baby vampire that's just out of feed. Um, but yeah, the kids just love the, the I, I don't know, there's something textural about... You know, the way... And I guess a good peach would probably be the same. Yeah. You know, the way it drips well, down your chin. That's what I was going to say. The fruits in Melbourne, I found, is so much... Well, maybe not now, but when we first moved to Brisbane, I found the fruits in Melbourne was so much better. 
Yeah. Especially the stone fruits. Yeah. The peaches, the plums, the cherries were just a lot better quality. Well, I know definitely in Tasmania, the raspberries and the cherries, they definitely don't send their best stuff mm. across the ditch. Because mm. I have never, ever had cherries like the cherries I had in, in Hobart. The big, black, really N- crunchy no, stuff. No, the ones, the ones that... So we went to... We went to taste with some friends of ours that live in Hobart and I got this most amazing um, raspberry and ice cream. That's all it was, just raspberries, fresh raspberries and ice cream. Yeah. And it just blew my mind. I'd never had raspberries like it. And I was like, oh, raspberry, raspberry. I was, all I could talk about for two days was raspberries. And they <laughs> said, we're going to Frassinay and there's a, a fruit picking farm just on the north of Hobart. And Dave said, well, we'll stop there and we'll, we'll pick some fruit before we go up north yeah and so i've just charged off into the raspberry patch but it was at the end of the raspberry season so there wasn't much much there and i've like picked 15 pretty anemic looking raspberries and and you could eat while you picked and i was i was shattered all i wanted was this this huge punnet of (laughs) rock like the raspberries like i tasted so i've never been a massive cherry fan and they had 10 rows of cherry trees and the first five rows were your traditional black cherries and so i'm going along and i'm eating them and they were the nicest black cherries i've ever had they're they quite nice and then the second five rows were this they were almost like a white with a pink blush oh yeah i know the type cherry yep. and they were just yeah. amazing so we i quick pick them sometimes here can't we? quickly ate ate what was left in my in my bucket they just filled the whole bucket with these chairs. Oh, and um, for the rest of the week, I just sat, I just sat, just every 10 minutes, I just <laughs> eat a cherry. Ah, oh, so, so good. Um, and we went to the strawberry picking farm on the weekend, and they were lovely strawberries and probably the nicest strawberries I've had in a while, but just not the same experiences I had with those cherries, unfortunately. You have so, to go back down south again. Yeah, I'd like to go to to Tasmania or one of those cold climates um, when the apples come on. Mm. Somewhere where you can try, you know, some of the older varieties of apples, like all the, you know... Did you ever um, get the book Brisbane Budget Bites? Yes. So Mei Yen, who used to... I've won review in the the last one. Okay. Yeah. Well, she moved to Tasmania. Oh, really? And she is, I think, because I've follow her on um, social media yeah. and she's um, growing heirloom apples oh wow yeah so hopefully oh. you know, she'll so you have to um, send me her accounts and I'll, I'll look her up that's okay. awesome yeah so she, she's she got property I can't remember where she is but she's near the the sea and they're clearing the land yep and she's planting um, heirloom varieties oh wow and she's planting Good. other She's doing like a, a kitchen garden as well. Yeah, because mm. a lot of those um, less traditional, uh, sort of less commercial apples got removed out yes. of Tasmania, like because mm. people just weren't buying them. Yeah, and it's a real shame because if they sort of, I think the trend's going back towards more diverse, more interesting food, and people yeah. are willing to pay a little bit more, especially if the, as well as it being interesting, you're getting a different flavour than what you yeah. used to. Yeah. Um, you know, they probably um, took those trees out a bit too quickly. So, but it's good that you actually can get the seeds and you know all the yeah all the seedlings. There is a for them now. There's a fruit farm um, a little bit like Daly's down there that I subscribe to, even though I can't grow any of their stuff. That has heaps of the old 
varieties and I think they get stuff from England too. So oh, if they right. find another variety, they, you know, they get that strain or they get the seeds or they get the, um, get cuttings or whatever they can get yeah. to, to keep those older breeds oh, alive. Yeah. They should have a, an heirloom apple farm, all the different varieties. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised somebody hasn't. I'm sure somebody will do it soon. S- somebody probably does already yeah. in Tassie. Yeah. You know. Uh, and they should do it for all the different fruits. So I'm sure pears and peaches and all that. Yeah, my pears are actually going pretty good. What type do you have? Uh, they're tropical ones. I've got two. I don't can't remember what they are, but that you have to have two to cross pollinate. Ah, okay. Same with apples. Same with. Uh, I don't know whether you. No, I don't think you have to with peaches because I never had a second peach tree. But I know apples and pears. You definitely have to have two to cross pollinate. Otherwise, you don't get good crops. So is your pear tree about to fruit? No, but the I haven't killed a tree. That's what oh, I call okay. good. So well. <laughs> That's a success. <laughs> not, not not dying is a success at Lantana Land. I put in a blood orange, and it's just not. It's not Do dying. Do we have the weather for them? Oh, I'm gonna give it a go. I, I think it will grow an orange no matter what. Like yeah. the citrus will grow at my place, no problems. Yeah. But whether or not it grows, it, it gets cold enough to get that chemical change mm-hmm. that, that you get the redness in it. I'm yeah. not sure. So mm-hmm. I'd like to because I really like blood oranges. Awesome in salads. When did you When did you plant it? Uh, last summer. So it's only okay. had a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's see how it goes this summer. But it just. It's just not really like all my other citrus have sprouted and sort of pushed on a little bit. They need a lot of lime, don't they? Yeah, and a bit of fertil like they only they like a lot of fertilizer citrus. So I have been putting a bit of cow manure on it because we've got a couple of rogue cows at the moment wandering around. Council hasn't come to get them. No, haven't. (laughs) Well, yeah. Then I know they're my mate's cows, so I hope not. Though they are eating my Brazilian cherry tree a bit, which I'm a bit perturbed about. Brazilian cherry tree? So Brazilian cherries are like, um, they look like a little pumpkin. All right. Like a little tiny pumpkin. And they've got a a seed in them the side of a macadamia nut. Um, And they're, you would like them actually, because they're sweet, mostly sour with a little bit of sweetness in them. Oh, Okay. Um, and when you get them really, really ripe, the first taste you get is quite bitter, yeah. and then you get a sweet aftertaste, mm. um, a little bit cherry-like. So when do they? When when is their oh, season? Well, they're flowering now, so okay. so summer. Oh yeah, spring. spring. Mm. But uh, you usually get a couple of crops out of them. I think you get like a an early spring, and then at the end of summer you get another crop. Um, well, but they're very, very prolific. Like. Can you bring some next time? Yeah, yeah. Well, next, next as soon as they flower, you have to fight Curtis for them. So the cows them. haven't eaten them all? I think they're eating the, the fruit. They're just eating the leaves. Oh, okay. So, mm. Where did you get that from? Where did you get the um, Actually, it's one of the ones I grew up with. So on the, on, on the house at Curtis Island where we used oh, to go for right. summer, we always had a Brazilian cherry tree just outside the front door. So yep. you'd just go out and pick the fruit. But I've got nice. friends that reckon that they're... Completely inedible. I won't touch them. They reckon they're a joke. That, that I have them there just to give unsuspecting guests that here try this fruit. <laughs> they makes an awesome jam too. Really oh, nice, okay. like a jelly because yeah, it's such a big seed. You got to sort of cook it up and strain oh, it. Okay. Then, mm. ah, look forward to it. Mm, Never really seen good. them before. 
So what new books have you got? What At have the you, moment. What have you been... Um, I've got a lot of the... A lot of new food magazines, actually. Mm. Um, because... So it's coming up to Christmas, uh, the new books. So they should be coming... I should be getting more stock in in the next few weeks and also next month. Yeah. So do you, do you have like a, a, a rhythm to the year with book releases? Like do people yeah, release so, a lot for yep, particular times for of the year? Christmas time. So October, November is a big um, big season yep. where there's a lot of um, really release. good titles coming in. What about Mother's Day? Do people release Mother's for? Day, well, because there's a lot of the big mass market ones that come out there yeah for mother's day um but the types that i look for not so much yeah definitely um the latter later end of the year is when we get them Mm. so and a lot of chefs from europe and america also release um at the end of the year as well so um i've got quite a few coming coming in but lately i've just been getting a lot of the food magazines a lot of the new ones coming in yeah yeah, so I picked up one which. Do you like beer? Yes. Um, of course. But I'm it's. Like, do I like beer? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, it's, it's called Palette and it's from the US. But it's really interesting because they say it's a beer magazine, but it's more. Their byline is um, interesting. We are only interested in the interesting things. Yeah, right. And then their articles are actually quite different um the issue i have issue one and issue two and the issue i read issue one and they had an article about the running people of mexico okay and so it's a whole tribe and they they just run all of them Every, run yeah everywhere yeah. they go they run they don't walk they oh, run yeah, 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 yeah. and you know they're saying like these are the fastest people on earth they, yeah they're like the um if you put them in the olympics i probably and they run barefoot as well yeah or they just they make these um well, makeshift shoes. It was like I was listening to a podcast this week about the Olympics and they were talking about how Jamaica is dominating the sprinting mm. and how they're basically... Like, anyone in Jamaica who might be fast is getting coached, basically, mm. is what they're saying. So, yep. like, um, you know, in America, there might be heaps of kids that are fast that are just not... You know, never see a sprint coach, never get into sprinting. But in Jamaica, if you've got the slightest bit of talent in it, you will get coached in that. Oh, they will see whether yeah. you are going to be a good sprinter. They're basically maximising their talent yeah. Yeah. in one very specific area because they like they're a tiny, tiny yeah. country, yeah. and yet they dominate. They dominate the sprinting in the men's and the women's. Well, that's because they're fostering them. They're recognising very early on yeah. the talent and then fostering that and talent. I think, and like you said, you know, everybody does it. And there's a mm. culture of doing it. And yeah. sort of like, you know, that's what you do if you're a Jamaican. You run really quick. <laughs> uh, all right, Julian. Thanks for chatting to me. No worries. Thank you. I'll, uh, we'll leave this for now and I'll, yeah. I'll ask some more questions some other time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bizo. See you.